0: Hi, welcome back to China Manufacturing Decoded from the Sophist Group. It's episode 170 today. We're at the end of June 2023 and it's Adrian here from the team, joined this time by Andrew, also from the team, our new product development and reliability guru.
1: Hey, Adrian, good to be here. How how are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. Nice to have you back on. And I'm looking forward to getting a bit of your experience today because we're talking about 10 of the key factors that impact the cost of your product design when you're making electronics. You know, this is, this is something that we are actively doing for a number of our clients who are trying to bring new electronic products to market with us. And indeed, something that you're working on, you know, as part of your normal day as well. So I'm quite looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. And I'm sure many of the listeners are as well.
1: Well, thank you, Adrian. I, I totally agree. I think that, well, right now with the current geopolitical situation, with what's happening with the economics of the, the whole world, I think that uh, there there's a little bit of awareness about cost and impact of the cost in uh product development as well as manufacturing i think the you know recession has caused people to be more cautious in all levels of all aspects of our lives and uh you know whether you're p- going to uh a gas station to pump gas or uh you you're going to a restaurant or or anything you're kind of like worried uh, and, uh, and and kind of cost conscious in terms of how much you're going to spend and and i think It's fair to say that our customers who are uh, interested in bringing a new product to market, like you mentioned, and or manufacturing of a new product, it's very important to keep that cost in mind. And what we're going to talk about today are 10 points to be made or 10 uh, key factors that whoever is working on building a product need to keep that in mind in terms of designing a product so that hopefully these t- key elements will help them have a better cost-effective solution in terms of um, reduced cost or balanced cost.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, everybody is aware of the post-COVID economic wobbles that all the countries are having at the moment. China, Europe, the States, you name it, nobody's not being affected by, you know, rising costs and difficulties like that. So when we are trying to bring a new product to market, trying to control costs while we're doing so, it's a good topic. It's a—it's an important topic. So with that in mind, then, let's go through those 10 factors that you've mentioned, Andrew. What's number one?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Let's get started. I, I think in my opinion, when you are designing a brand new product, the first thing you have in mind is, okay, what kind of components I'm going to use and where I'm going to find these components, where should I source it, what about the quality of those components, what about what. But more importantly, you'll be focusing on what what are the costs uh, in terms of you know number of components you need. And I think that uh, one of the most important thing on component selection to keep in mind, you know, you got cost, but you also need to have performance and quality. And in terms of that, which one is the most important to your design is what you should keep in mind. So, OK, if the cost is the only thing, quality doesn't matter as long as it's, a, you know, marginal or you know, good quality is good enough. And as long as it performs within tolerance limit of performance is good enough, then maybe cost is the most important. So, you know, you could go with a very, let's say, lower cost component. However, generally speaking, the lower the cost, most likely equals lower quality and lower performance. So you have a very high performance device and and you need to make sure that it meets certain uh performance requirements certain quality and reliability requirements uh you might be careful on lowering the costs since it might impact quality and uh, performance
0: mm, interesting and yeah you got to walk that tightrope between cutting the costs too much on components and then ending up with something that's not going to be suitable for your products i mean let's think of a quality product, it's easy to say Apple, isn't it? You can bet they're not using cheap camera sensors, for example, in the iPhone. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's a very good example.
1: So then we could move on to the next item that I think is also equally important, and that's manufacturing processes. If you have a very complex product or complicated manufacturing process, It is definitely going to impact the cost because when you're manufacturing and you got a lot of components to to put together in order to put the, for example, PCBA together, it's going to take longer time. It's going to take more manpower and labor. Uh, It's going to take more power, for example. It's going to take longer time in general and and in fact it might even affect the yields in terms of reliability and uh, and and so all of these really all, all in all impacts the cost and i think to be able to overcome this it's very very important to have a very simple design uh, that has been optimized for uh better manufacturing and um you know use all the best in class manufacturing uh, processes, including what we call DFM, Design for Manufacturability. And and then all of these put together, hopefully your manufacturing costs will be lower.
0: What other sort of um, best-in-class processes might we be using? You mentioned DFM.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that another one that will be good for manufacturing is ORT, Ongoing Reliability Testing. And that's oh. really one of the most uh, important tests that you could do. After the, let's say, first thirty days of uh, run, first thirty days run, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of issues and may not be necessarily related to, let's say, reliability. It might be just completely manufacturing issues, but it is very important. You can you can either run right along right from the beginning as soon as you start manufacturing. You do sample runs of ORT right away or you can wait uh, and do it for example monthly or quarterly and so on i think i think that's one of the best processes you can definitely put in manufacturing in addition to simplifying the design and number of components and so on
0: Mm. i I could have guessed you would have chosen something to do with reliability (laughs) (laughs) okay we're moving on to the third at this point then so we are uh, going through these. There's ten. Remember the third one, kind of similar to component selection, material selection.
1: Yeah, material selection actually is not exactly component selection. A lot of people make that mistake. Material selection has to do with plastics, sheet metals, aluminum, you know, glass. Yeah. Uh, so, whereas components is more of diodes, capacitors, resistors, ICs, and so on. So. Sure yeah each have their own way of dealing uh with the suppliers and and uh, material selection is really really important, especially in the geoeconomical conditions where some mm. of these uh materials they they may be short and not available uh and the lead times may be a lot more uh longer and 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 so if you've got very exotic product that uses uh many different types of materials. Uh, you could definitely end up paying more for the fact that you have so many different kinds of materials. And of course, if you got a lot of it, uh, a lot of those materials, then of course, it, the cost is going to be even more expensive. So I think, you know, when the designers are actually designing a product, they should be mindful of some trade-offs between Uh, Material and cost and performance and quality and and need to understand, okay, which one is the most important? And can I use, for example, plastic instead of metal? Can I use acrylic plastic that looks just like glass instead of glass, which is more expensive? So you have to be thinking about these things as a designer and hopefully it will definitely impact and and lower the cost of your product.
0: Sure. Yeah. that, That makes a lot of sense. Okay.
1: So the the next item that I think that is also important is assembly cost and labor cost. Well, assembly and labor are go to go together because most of the time assemblers are people actually uh, assembling your product. Now, if you've got a product that has many, many parts, obviously you're gonna need more people to assemble, right? That's just simple to understand. So Uh, what you might want to do is uh, make sure you have a design that has a a lower number of uh, parts count, as well as simple to assemble process so that, you know, assemblers don't actually spend a lot of time trying to put it together. And then of course, you know, if you don't put a lot of time into assembling, then one assembler can actually assemble a number of uh, points in the process, you know, not just take, you know, for example, 10 or 15 seconds to to do just one task. Instead, uh one assembler will take, you know, 10 or 15 seconds, but it'll do like five tasks, you know, five seconds for each task, you know, push this button, move this over here, Quick starter here, and so on, and boom, it's ready to go. Move to the next person. So that's really what you need. You need a process that uh, is simplified, optimized, and uh, doesn't need a whole lot of people to do for assembling the process. I mean, this is really,
0: really important. I think if we visualize, you know, the assembly line with the different operators, the members of staff sitting in, say, a line, and they're passing. The product from one station to the next and that one person as you say if they're just doing one thing so they are screwing in one screw and then passing it on to the next person right. by definition that's less efficient than if they can quickly do uh, a few screws or click something into place as well and then pass it on to their colleague and it's going to require fewer people as well so that's less in terms of cost and the design using fewer parts that need to be you know touched by a person working on it as you mentioned as well that's a good one i think because you've got fewer parts going into the product so that's that's less cost and then the product's going to be easier and faster to make with maybe with fewer staff so that reduces the cost as well so yeah i can see how the assembly and the labor that could add up very very quickly if you have complex complex designs
1: yeah, absolutely, and, and there's other things that we should mention here to our listeners that uh, uh, other processes such as Pokioki and automation and simplifying the timing or time balancing of of the line. They call it line balancing. Actually, it's the same thing as time yeah. balance. So doing all of these all together, and 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 for example, quality inspection in the line. All of these definitely helps lower the assembly costs. One thing alone is not enough, unfortunately, because there are so many variables and reasons why assembly process can go wrong and then costs can just, you know, overlap. Uh, So it's very, very important to have multiple processes that control the assembly process to make sure that the costs keep low.
0: Yeah. And I suppose this is where working with a competent manufacturer really comes into it, because we've spoken before. I'm pretty sure you were saying, you know, process engineers are kind of worth their weight in gold because they can yield so many benefits through the work that they do. And so, yeah, you you do make that point there. And if you're, if you're listening and thinking, well, how do I know if my manufacturer is competent? I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? <laughs> but we, we do have plenty of uh, content about that, that. So I'll leave some links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll cover that in future, Andrew, as well. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Halfway through number five. Yeah, number five is size and
1: weight of the product. So when you're about to design a product, very very it's very very important to really get together with the team and decide you know how big do we want this product and there are a lot of reasons why you need to do that it's not just cost maybe the product you want it to be small because you want the cost to be low but then maybe use case is wrong you can't use it in the field with such a small product so you see there has to be a balance you know where uh the customers like the size and weight the The environment where they're gonna actually use this product is appropriate for this kind of a size and and weight and then, when it comes to cost, you want to make sure that you know if certain amount certain size is not necessary and doesn't have to be that big doesn't have to be that heavy. Then you can cut costs in those areas, you know maybe you can make it a, a little bit smaller uh, a little bit lighter you know and and all of these affect the manufacturing process cost and materials and material costs and everything else so uh all in all you need to keep aware and be aware of the size and weight of the product that you're about to design
0: hmm. oh we are talking about a relatively early stage in the new product development process here. We're still talking about product design, right? So I assume that a lot of people who are at this point will have hopefully done market research and got feedback from potential customers, the the sort of customers in in the the niche that you're looking for, at least, on what a relevant size or Mm -hmm. weight of the product is going to be. You know, if it's clearly going to, if it's clearly too large and cumbersome, that's negative. But on the other hand, as you say, if it's too small to be used effectively for the use cases that they're most likely to be having, again, that's going to be a problem. So that's going to definitely influence the size and weight of the product before you even start thinking about, well, okay, what about my shipping costs, for example, if it's, yeah. if it's going to be smaller? Because there's, because ultimately you're going to have a limit on how small or large you can go.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and as you mentioned, it impacts everything. Cost impacts everything. So if you got a heavy weight and a heavy, a big size uh, product, the shipping is going to be expensive. Uh, you're going to need a bigger uh, warehouse to house all these big size products. So you know everything gets affected by size, weight, and cost. Yeah. Uh, you need to be aware of that. Absolutely.
0: Your you package, your packaging too. Well, that's going to need to be. Yes. It's going to need to be sturdier, probably of a higher quality for heavier products to make sure that they don't get damaged during storage and shipping as well. So, yeah, no, you're absolutely right with that one. Absolutely, okay.
1: Yep. Okay, so then next item is energy efficiencies. You know, I think we're living in an environment nowadays uh, in a world that everyone is talking about clean environment, uh, you know, a better ecosystem where. Air quality is better, and uh, we're doing recycling. So all of these things really comes down to how can we design a product that is energy efficient. And this is really a, a big topic nowadays in just about every company because as soon as the product becomes not energy efficient, you're not only impacting the environment, but also you're probably impacting the cost of the overall product.
0: And and I would I would add, Andrew, as well, because you're you're mentioning, you know, factors that affect climate change, for example, which is really important for today's business in terms of legislation that's coming in that we've written and spoken about loads of times, but also for consumers. But also, I think it's the cost to run for consumers. That's so important these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. There There are a lot of regulatory, let's say,
1: laws are impacting energy efficiency, as you mentioned. And it's really, really important to keep those in mind when you're designing a new product. You don't want to get caught by surprise when you're about to launch a product and then you're not meeting certain energy efficiency requirements for a Mm. particular market.
0: Yeah, and I think you're going to be obsolete compared to your competitors as well if you're not careful because – if you bring out a new product that's not particularly energy efficient, you know, you're probably swimming in a pool where most of the competitors are coming out specifically with energy efficient products these days, When, especially when we talk about electronics. Right. Because there's such a drive to be selling products that cost less. I, I don't think it's as severe in the US, but in Europe, for sure. I right? And I can attest to this because I'm there. Everything now is focusing so much on energy efficiency. Everybody wants to have something that costs the least, you know, kilowatt hours and it, it's more efficient than an oven. So people are turning to air fryers and microwaves and things like that. And people are really scrutinizing the energy efficiency ratings. So I can really see why designing for a lower cost in terms of the energy used by a product. For sure, that's uh, it's going to have a big say in how consumers are going to take that product, and that's again, that's as well as the whole climate change factor as well, which is huge these days.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that obsolescent factor because of the fact that the world is changing, uh, our our um, consumers are changing, and sometimes consumers react in a way that we, uh, as as a manufacturer, we just never ever expect. Uh, here it is. You're building a product. It's taking you, you know, anywhere from six months to a year. And uh, within a year, there's a shift, uh, in either economy or politics of the world. And next thing you know, you can't sell a thing. Uh, and yeah. you're pretty much obsolete and your, cost, your competitors are, they kind of guessed it right. And they're way ahead and you're way behind and that's the end of it. So mm. I totally agree with you. I think that's very important to keep that in mind.
0: Number seven, you have already mentioned DFM, but we're going to specifically cover it now.
1: Yeah, I think that design for manufacturability is one of the key factors. A lot of people might think that, you know, well, how are we going to do that? I mean, there's a lot of thing goes into design for manufacturability, which we just talked about some of it. You know, how do you how can you uh, make sure that your product uh, has lower number of parts? Easy to assemble, easy to manufacture, and a whole bunch of other you know components are uh, quality components from quality suppliers. Design itself is sound so that uh, you don't have an accidental short at the pick and placement of the of the components. The soldering and and just the overall testing is seamless and easy and takes less time, less power. Uh, more efficient. So all of these things go goes into design for manufacturability, and and it really takes a great team with, with a team lead that is experienced in design for manufacturability to kind of align everyone in the within the team, not only on the development and design team, but also in manufacturing team, to make sure everyone understands what the goals are. What the objectives are, and how are you going to about uh, how going, how are you going about to uh, achieve these goals um, you know within, within the, the target set mm.
0: and listeners listening at the moment might be thinking, okay, design for manufacturability i i can I get why that's going to be important, but it, this is something that the manufacturer probably again you're looking for a, a capable manufacturer that is going to be considering this. As a standard for them. so Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and you always mention when you talk about DFM, it's a multi-team sort of discipline and you need people who are experienced in it, who can really manage it and push it forward. We have done good videos on this, actually. You've been in some videos that we've got on our YouTube channel. So I'll leave some links to it and you can read more about DFM and understand what goes into it i mean it's it's not a it's not a simple it's not a simple thing but a lot of these things that we talk about they never are but uh, absolutely it's a good one to mention at this point
1: yeah and i think you made a really good point the fact that manufacturing is not something that uh, you learn uh, in in one day it's it's something that you learn every day something new uh, and most good manufacturers have a very streamlined process, like we do in our manufacturing, we have checklists, uh, check sheet, and uh, control systems uh, put in place, and uh, so so the whole thing needs to be monitored and controlled constantly, and then keep in mind all the design for manufacturability elements, and work together with the team seamlessly to make sure that this uh, this works at the end. The next item that we could talk about is testing quality, and uh, I also call it reliability testing. I think there, mm-hmm. are, there are several ways of testing the product, right? So one of the most important one, I think, is just self-diagnosed test, diagnostic tests. Uh, every product should have a way of testing itself by software. At least, you know, let... Uh, the user know it's a go, no, go. What area is actually working? What area is not working? So a small diagnose really is helpful for the hardware de- design team. So, and then, uh, when the hardware design team comes together and they need to have another, uh, testing team, testing a uh, capability. Uh, so there's engineering tests that, uh, actually evaluates whether or not there are current measures and the voltage measures are meeting their uh, specifications and or when it comes to output of a certain component that needs to meet the certain specification and so on. So those engineering tests are critical as well. But then Mm. product level reliability tests are crucial to get very valuable data to the design team in terms of okay uh, i did the great design but will it actually survive in in the hands of a you know the main user you know in in the field and yes. uh, and for that reason it's very important that uh, you have a very well done test plan that actually takes into account all, all the worst case scenarios that, that could happen in the field for the product in terms of use case and one other important thing is quality and quality inspection and quality testing. I think that we underestimate the importance of uh, quality inspection, either dur- during the production line or even during the design and development. It's very important that quality engineers talking and you listen uh, for all the important inspection point that they make. And all of those need to be, Put into the design in terms of tolerances and gaps and measurements analysis. So all of these are important. And if you don't do all these types of testing properly, you're most likely going to be surprised with the heavy costs uh, associated with either one of these or all. And so I think it's, you know, very important. For example, by doing these, you could actually reduce the repair cost. Return cost. Your product will be more reliable, and therefore you'll have higher uh, customer satisfaction. And then, most likely, because you'll have a better product, better quality, better reliability, you'll have more sales and more customer satisfaction.
0: Yeah, the, the costs of poor quality and reliability are not to be taken lightly. And at first, we're talking about doing, you know, doing the testing and working with the engineers to look at the results and this sort of stuff. And eventually you did mention, well, what's, why do we do it? Because of the risk of these costs. And, I mean, product returns, it's just a nightmare if it starts happening on mass, isn't it?
1: Exactly, totally. I mean, we've discussed this before. Yeah. If you end up having uh, product returns and you don't know how to handle it, it could just be like an avalanche. I mean, it will be one today, tomorrow 10, next thing, you know, 100. And then the customer dissatisfaction these days is not the same as the old days. The bad reviews will kill a company very quickly. So it's very, very important to keep all of these in mind uh, while while designing.
0: Very good point there about the reviews. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then the ninth uh,
1: item is regulatory compliance. And and compliance is one of the things that a lot of companies, or let's say the customers that are new into product development, they forget about it and they don't realize that if you don't have compliance uh, done, test done on your product, there's a, a very good chance you can't sell that product in the uh, target market. So it's very mm. critical. Of that, you do some studies on that and and understand what are the compliance requirements uh for your product in that target market let's say you you're trying to sell it in u s well do you have to do u l testing or not? Do you have to do f c c testing or not and and what are the costs involved because that's one of the things that they they forget about it they, you know they don't do the compliance testing thinking and then they realize they don't realize how expensive it is until the time comes that they find out, uh-oh, do I have to do FCC test? Really? What? $5,000? That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it really catches them by surprise. We've had this over and over with uh, some of the customers that are entrepreneurs and, and it's their first product ever, taking it to the market. And they get pretty much uh, shocked by by the cost of the compliance. So I think it's very important that you think about what markets you're going to be selling, especially if you're thinking about selling it, it wide, definitely is going to be expensive to do these compliance tests. Maybe you start from one com- one country first, and then you know get some uh, cash or earnings from that, and then start going towards the global compliance. You you probably don't want to go global compliance right at the beginning when you have a brand new product and you don't even know how it's going to sell in the market.
0: You gave a good example there of, you know, say an entrepreneur that they bring their first product to market. You must have encountered times when somebody's got a product and they've probably gone most of the way through new product development. They've done prototyping, they've done testing, and then they get towards you know, time when they would hopefully be starting to press the button on manufacturing it. And they're like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not sure about compliance. Do the research, find out that they need to do a specific kind of compliance testing. Uh Oh, that could be quite expensive. And then if the product fails, they've got to then go back and do a redesign of the product. And I mean, you're talking about big expense there, aren't you?
1: oh not only big expense but a missed uh, market you know uh, in terms of if if they were trying to hit the market at at a certain point and and compete with the competitors or mm-hmm. for example they have a product that is supposed to be uh, just in time just in time for christmas and all of a sudden this happened and now christmas passed and what are they going to do they're going to wait till next christmas so a lot of these kind of things happen we have also customers that don't even think about reliability and when when they think about reliability they think just like one test and they think oh well we'll just do this and that's enough uh, i don't have money to spend for the rest of the test but what they don't realize is that reliability is really taking into account not only performance of the product in the field but also environmental aspects of effect of the environment uh, environment on that product uh, during the use in the field. So uh, all of these things, you know, I think that there was a, a famous case study when they used it in uh, up North America, it was working fine. But then when they uh, sold the same product in Florida and the hot States, you had major uh, failures.
0: Uh, yeah, it was the Yeah, it, yeah that's right. Yeah, you <laughs> I think you mentioned this ages ago in something else that we wrote or, or spoke about, but it's a really good example of that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think when we're going back to regulatory compliance, I think it's very, very important that uh, and the way we work, let's say it's the way we work with our customers is that right up front, we kind of uh may help them plan the whole thing. And that's really, really where we add value to them because half the time they yes. don't know do, they have to do certain kind of testing, including compliance, and and we give them a ballpark estimate for their product right away. Yes, maybe later on it will be hundred dollar, two hundred dollar more or less, but at least they budget for it ahead of time, and that's one of the key value that we bring to our customers. In terms of the way we do the planning for them, uh, free of charge, we, we basically ask some questions, meet with them, understand their product, and, and then then we do the planning for them.
0: So that brings us to number 10, and this one is life cycle of the product costs.
1: I think the life, cost, life cycle cost is important because let's say you have a product that you spent six months to develop as opposed to your your competitor who did it in a month. And I'm just exaggerating. Well, that competitor saved five months of development cost. And the development cost is huge. You got labor, you got design, you got parts, you got all these elements of the whole development that is daily accumulating for five months more than your competitor. So I think uh when we're talking about life cycle, we're talking about really the schedules uh we're talking about how long will it take to build this product uh in an efficient manner so of course, you know when it comes to you know life cycle costs, you have minimum time minimum schedule time that basically is. You go less than that, you're going to have to cut costs in quality and reliability or cut corners in quality and reliability, and nobody wants to do that. But then you, if you start losing, basically elongating the time, that means that somebody didn't do something right. For example, there was uh, material and component planning wasn't done right, and because of that, uh, uh, parts arrived late, and because of that, basically whole design team had to just wait until the part comes in for example in order to be able to and then life, i i you know, most of the time life cycle cost it has to do with design and development life cycle but then you could also kind of talk about manufacturing life cycle for example if if you had uh if you didn't have very knowledgeable materials handling team and they didn't order the product on time for full production. So here it is, the product is design is done, frozen, and it's ready for mass production, but the materials are not there yet, or they're not going to be there for another month. You just lost a month of time and if you calculate how much that impact is on you know getting to market is huge. How much money you could have made in that month being early to the market that you just lost. How many customers you were wait that were waiting to get your product that are not disappointed and uh, so the impact of the life cycle cost is not just on the development side of things uh, which most of the time is on the development but um, it can also impact the manufacturing as well
0: yeah yeah and you mentioned earlier you know what happens if you don't make Christmas when you're banking on getting the product out for Christmas that's, that's just a disaster
1: Right, right, and then there's other elements talking about uh, uh designing for repair and uh, repairability, designing for maintenance, and then of course um planning for in the life and of the product all of these are important and recyclability of the product because you know if it's not environmentally. Sound product, maybe nobody will buy it, right? So you need to think about all of these factors. And, and yeah, I know for our new listeners or and young entrepreneurs, uh, these are a lot to handle. Uh, these are a lot to chew on. But I think uh, at least we give them, you know, the rough idea of what they are going to uh, or the road ahead, you know, for their mm-hmm. product development, uh, as opposed to some other manufacturer who doesn't have any clues or they don't want because they don't want to deal with all the, all, all the responsibility of explaining and, and having uh, someone in the house who is knowledgeable to explain to them.
0: You might be listening to this thing. Well, I don't know a lot about regulatory compliance or I don't know a lot about designed for manufacturability or or reliability testing and nobody's expecting everyone to be an expert i mean probably you've got large enterprises where they might have in-house manufacturing experts and in that case great but it it is a bit of a minefield isn't it because if you're thinking well i want to get my products manufactured in say china which is of course where agility and our contract manufacturer is based which you're talking about or india vietnam wherever but I'm really not sure if I'm gonna get the right advice. I don't know if my manufacturer is capable. Is it all on me? And that's gonna be a big headache, isn't it? So it's it's good to know that uh, you know, it is possible to find manufacturers out there that are able to give you that information, that advice that you need.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that because what makes us different is that not only we understand Different types of products that uh, are out there—consumer products or electronic products uh, I mean, we, we we build all kinds of products, right, from robots to uh, consumer electronics and and more. Uh, and the yeah. point is, when when the when our uh, customers come to us, first thing we do, we understand what uh, the product is and capabilities, performance, use case. And then, and then we try to understand our customer's requirement. What is it that they want? They want this product to have, for example, two year life, 10 year life, certain kind of a, a return rate, uh, estimation, targets, and so forth. And then a lot of times when they don't have any clues in terms of uh, uh, reliability testing or quality or relative compliance, because of the fact that we have a lab or uh, a labs. Uh, We have not only reliability testing uh, uh, capabilities, but also we have regulatory compliance, basically consultancy. We are able Mm -hmm. to, we have the knowledgeable people within our team that can actually help them with not only regulatory compliance needs, uh, but also we can create uh, reliability test cases as well as reliability test plans, uh, which meets their particular product needs. For example, if it's something, something really simple, then we will create a simple reliability test plan that just mimics exact situations that could happen in the real world and that we we it for it and we make sure that this product will not have any kind of a big returns. And similarly, if you have a complex, complex product, then we will also be able to develop a comprehensive reliability test plan so that will pretty much... Uh, test for everything that is critical to the reliability of that product. And uh, and because we have these capabilities, uh, this makes us more understanding of our customer's need. And, and therefore, mm-hmm. uh, we are able to help them much better. And we have seen customers go to another competitor and the competitor never ever speaks about reliability or testing or compliance. And they don't know anything about it until they're about to launch the product, and uh, mm. all of a sudden uh, somebody tells them, "Oh, you you ha- you didn't do compliance," and they say, "No, my manufacturer didn't say." And manufacturer says to them, "It's not our responsibility. You should do your mm. own research, and you should find out whether you need it or not. You brought us a product to manufacture, and we manufactured it for you. You see, that's how they do it, but we don't do it that way. We realize that our customers are not." Um, let's say totally knowledgeable about everything that their product needs. And we definitely consult and we recommend what definitely is needed. Uh, with the complete transparency facts, we, we might even pull some things from online and show them as a proof or consult and have a meeting with, with a, with a, a compliance test lab and reputable test lab basically asked in that meeting uh let them know, let our customers know what is required or not. So all of these really makes us very helpful.
0: Yeah, in comparison, and you mentioned competitors, I mean you're talking about other Chinese manufacturers there chiefly, I I would say. And it's not all Chinese manufacturers, but probably more often than not, if you take them a product to manufacture, I would not Guarantee that they're going to pay a lot of attention to, let's say, regulatory compliance, for example, not unless you very, very specifically tell them exactly what needs to happen.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and that's a huge risk for our customers. Mm. And that's why, in fact, we're talking, speaking of risk, that's another thing we do. We do risk assessment on our customer product, um, DFMEA, and so on. And we make sure that their product is. Uh, Risk free when it's going to production.
0: Right, great. Okay, well, that a lot of uh, a lot of food for thought there. Good, good sort of summary of of how we're handling things like regulatory compliance as well. And of course, a little bit earlier on, you spoke about the costs of of not handling it, which are oof, yeah, not not worth thinking about. And I think that's why we've gone through these ten points because it's not about you being an expert in in every single aspect of the design and manufacturing of your products because you're going to be working with a manufacturer maybe they'll be helping to develop it and manufacturing it or they're just manufacturing it but if you've got the information you need to be asking the question that's the key point here because you need to be able to ask the questions to get the answers if you're not even asking how how does the how does your manufacturing partner or your product development partner know that that's an issue for you exactly uh, I would say well,
1: well put. I, I think that the 10 points that we just mentioned here uh, are critical. They, these are just really minimal. These are the minimum 10 points that you must consider. There's, there are probably a lot other points that you could think about, uh, you know, because the world is changing and there are new ideas and new requirements coming on uh, almost all the time. But at least you need to think about, at the least on about these 10 points to be covered when you're designing your product in terms of what the cost impact will be overall
0: mm, excellent well that's a brilliant way to finish it off andrew really enjoyed today helpful info and i will be including some links to related topics and some blog posts and other things that we've done in the show notes so if you want to go deeper check out the show notes as well. So that's it, Andrew, this time. Thanks for joining me and thanks for listening in to all the listeners too. Thanks,
1: Adrian, and uh, until next time.
0: Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, manufacturing. 3PL warehousing and fulfilment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at that's sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.